0: Can we turn our Bibles to Acts 20? And I'm going to pray. Um, I'm carrying on from last week. I felt like, uh, for those of you who don't know, we started a, a, we started a series called The Generous Life. Then it's it got into last week, which was uh, being used for God, part one. So this is like, if you had 1A, this is 1A, 1 slash B. This is a part, second part of the third part, okay? Um, but uh, just just, we really have been talking around what it means to have a generous life. It says that those who have a generous life, their world gets larger and larger. And as we give, and as we are generous with everything inside of us, our time, treasure, and talents, we see that our world gets larger. And then the Bible says in, in the messages that the, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And, uh, and uh, hopefully we've been putting a little bit of that into practice. When we're going out for lunch, we don't do the, like, where's my wallet thing. I went out to uh, lunch with someone this week and I texted him before. I just said, just so you know, I've lost my wallet like two days before. So um, anyway it doesn't matter. But yeah, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you change us. Your word molds us. God, I thank you for this community. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in and through City Lights. I pray that it would be extended across the city and into different nations. Father, and I I really do pray, Lord God, that this morning you're speaking to our hearts. You're speaking to my heart even as I speak. Father, Holy Spirit, would you come and just um, soften us this morning, make us ready for your word. In Jesus' name. John Wimber, who was a a pioneer in the 70s and 80s, started the Vineyard Movement, which has planted hundreds if not thousands of churches across the world, uh, was part of the kind of a restoration of the charismatic gifts in the 70s and 80s, and just saw God explode across the nations in incredible ways, and uh, God used him powerfully, but the people he's raised up, and they say that a a large majority of churches that are impacting the, the world today was kind of came out of that time in the 70s and 80s, so there was a move of God that spread across the world with John Wimber, and he was just an amazing guy, just operated in the gifts of healing and faith, and I've learned so much from him, even though he's passed away a couple of years ago. I've read some of his books, listened to some of his sermons, and he says this. He says, the economy of God's kingdom is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom will cost us everything we've gained to date. There's no little extra. We throw everything into the kingdom of God. We are spare change in God's pocket, ready to be spent however he wants. And I I honestly come with a heart, and I, I've, like I said, I've known Johnny for a couple of years, but when I first came back to God, into church, encountering him, I was like, God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. And I, and I honestly believe it wasn't from a place to please man or to to, and maybe at times I've done that and I've kind of gone in and out of that space. But it came from a genuine relationship with Jesus that I genuinely 100% wanted to do everything he told me, told me to do. I remember reading the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Who's read that? It's a good book to read. Basically about a bunch of people who died for Jesus. And there's a modern one that, G, that Jesus Freaks uh, wrote. And I used to read those things. I said, God, will you use me like that? I've since realized that that probably wasn't the wisest prayer to pray. Uh, and uh, I've just kind of toned it, and no, I haven't turned down my prayers. But there's that heart inside of me. And, and I, I honestly believe when you encounter Jesus, the, the living God of what we're speaking about this morning, everything inside of you wants to live for him. And that's why I'm coming this morning. That is the heart of this message. It's not, so we, we, we're not trying to manipulate you, ask you to give more, spend more of your time, pour out more, this and that. We're saying, fall in love with Jesus. We started with Jesus. and he's preaching next week, we're gonna end with Jesus. Because he is the one that is, he's worth it all. He's worth giving up everything for. And we've, and as the amazing thing about the kingdom of God, that as you give up, like John Wimber says, everything you've gained to this day, God just pours out his blessing on you. And the word blessing, and, and we've even read it in Malachi when we talk about tithes, it's not, it's not even kind of denotes to financial blessing. It, it comes from the word shalom, which is peace. And God is extending his peace across the whole earth. And he's using you and I as followers of Jesus to extend his peace in different places. And that is, so as, as we are on a kingdom mission in the city, we're extending the peace of God, the rule and the reign of God until he comes back. There's a new heavens and a new earth coming and God is reigning. So we've covered last week just out of this text and I'm gonna read, let me read a little bit from verse, ni- verse uh, 18b. It says, you, Paul, for those of you who weren't here last week, I'm gonna give you a quick recap, okay? So Paul, who planted a church in Ephesus in Acts 19, you can go read it powerful working of God. He spent two years, it says, in the hall of Tyranus where it got to a point where he preached to every Jew, uh, sorry, every person, Jew or Gentile in Asia heard the word of God. If, uh, the city of Ephesus of that day was a big cosmopolitan city, probably like Dubai New York. It had 300,000 people. Paul writes and says that every person heard the gospel. That's an incredible testimony. That is nation impacting. That's not just, and I mean, but this incredible stuff happened with Paul, and he got, he got arrested, and he got in trouble, and he, got, he had a lot of opposition, and I mean, we can read it in a few pages, but there was opposition that he had, to the point later on it says that he even had plots from the Jews, so even the religious who's supposed to be on your side were against him because he was extending the gospel, and uh, we've been looking what it means to be used for God, and if we, if we look at Paul as an example, what an incredible man. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he followed the law to a T. He says in the ways of the, the Jewish religion, he was faultless. But he says, I count that worth nothing compared to, to seeing Jesus Christ. And he realized that it's only by grace and it's only by faith in him that we are anything. That we are all sinners going one way, and only through the grace and love and, 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 and God pursuing us do we actually turn our face towards Him. Paul had an encounter in Acts 9 where he was on his way to somewhere, and God came down and, and blasted him. And I think we have to come to a point where we, as followers of Jesus, are not indifferent about this gospel. That this is the most important news on this planet. We, we sang about songs today that he has no rival, he has no equal. And sometimes we, we sing those songs, but we don't live it and believe it. And we have to know that the king of the universe has no rival, has no equal. He's far above everything. And we follow him, and he calls us to follow him, and he, and he washes us clean. And he makes us right with him. And what, what an incredible thing. So Paul used in an incredible way, raises up elders in this church. And this is his final words to the elders. And he says this, you yourselves know. How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back, shrink from, declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of the repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go down to uh, 23, uh, let's read from 22. It says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. And we looked that he was bold and he just carried on going forward. God uses people who just say yes no matter the circumstance. And he's just like, well, the Holy Spirit has warned me that there's going to be opposition. And if I'm being honest, I'd probably, if if the Holy Spirit warns me that something's coming up in a region, I probably won't go there. But yet Paul just carries on going. Because he knows that he has to preach this gospel. The Holy Spirit's cool. Listen, I'm just saying, I want you to preach this gospel, but just know that there's some tough times ahead. And Paul says, I'm going to run into those tough times. And I think we need to come to a point in our lives if we want to be used of God is that we don't take the high road, don't take the easy route, but we run into tough moments and we run through tough moments because we know that God's grace is sufficient to get us through that. Um, Verse 25, and it says, And now, behold, I know that uh, that none of among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again, Therefore, I testify to, that, to this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And you can go read the rest, but let's, let's go down to verse 34. It says, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus. How He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it says he knelt down, he prayed, and he never saw these guys again. And uh, we started last week, we looked at the, God uses those who are bold, God uses those who are in community. Perfect example this morning. Those, God uses those who are spirit-led, God uses those who reorder their priorities. And I want to pick up um, in a, just with the first point, is that God uses those who love. So if you're taking notes, God uses those who love, And there's a word, and I used it last week, but it's, it says that with tears. Paul wasn't doing this to put another notch on his belt, to say, cool, well, I've conquered Asia, now I'm going to head on to Rome, or I'm going to I'm gonna go back to Jerusalem and conquer. It's not about that. He loved the people. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. And I think at the, at the heart of it, those who are used by God is those who have caught the gospel in their hearts, what is the thing that kept driving Paul through imprisonments, through beatings, through being in an Ephesian uh, jail where he was at the bottom where people we'd had like different grates going down and he was right at the bottom so that the people who, who went to the bathroom at the top would drip down to the bottom where he was literally sitting in human feces, sitting there writing stuff and he says, I, I can't no greater joy than to, than to preach this gospel. What is the thing? And it's because he had the love of God in his heart. What caused him to go the extra mile? What prevented him from throwing in the towel? It's love. And I honestly say that that is the thing for me in ministry. There's times where it's not easy. There's times where you're misunderstood. There's times in our lives where you even come into church, being faithful, where it's like, oh, it's hard this week. What's the thing that drives you? It should not be to please anyone. It should be because you're in love with the king. And if you've lost that thing, take a moment to recapture that love. He, he is worth everything. Our, our, we have laid down our lives for the gospel, and we've seen God just do incredible stuff and bless us. And it's because it's not about that. It's in my heart. I'm saying, Jesus, I want to do everything because I'm in love with you. I'm going to share at the end what God spoke over my life recently. I have a love for Stala that will cause me to do anything, okay? Let me get excited here. Um, I may have told this story, and I apologize, but if you've been here long enough, you're going to hear stories a couple of times. But um, we were, I think we were just married, and uh, I, I, I know that I'm super protective, like on, it's probably, it's probably bad, okay? But I love her. And uh, so we had a, a we went to some, like, concert somewhere. Uh, no, it wasn't a concert. It was just, like, a gig at this pub. And there was, a, there was a dude that was part of the previous church that we're at. And he loved to just kiss girls on the cheek, you know? I mean, like, I'm like, dude, are you French? No, you're not. So you don't deserve to do that, especially with my wife. And um, she comes... And, uh, she, and this guy, like I, I, and I, I, like, I kind of ignored a few times. We, we'd be walking together, and he'd come and walk in between us and kind of link arms. And I'm like, and everything inside of me is just going, Jesus, help me. Um, so things that, okay, this is before I was a pastor, so you can't judge me, okay? <laughs> and um, and I, so there was a moment where Stala leant over a table, and he was standing there, and he, he thought that he would just kiss Stala on the cheek as she leant over the table. And I thought, and he did. And uh, anyway, so he, he went up and he kind of kissed on the cheek. And I, what did he say to you? Hello, gorgeous. Oh my goodness! Something inside of me right now wants to find him and uh, and love him. Um. So I had this, and I, and Stala, she comes up and she's like, and, and she told me after, she's like in her mind, she's, I hope Dan didn't see that, I did. And uh, I just thought, and so Starla's like, Dan, just don't do anything. Uh, okay, th- side note, this guy was in my community group. Okay, so here's a moment where I'm going to show him the right hand of fellowship, eh, Johnny? And um, come on. <laughs> and uh, so we, c- we come to this moment, and, uh, and Starla's like, just let me get out of here. So she goes outside, goes, draws money. I come back, and I take him, uh, uh, like, pull him over the counter, and I just pull up his shirt. I says, I can't remember what, I didn't swear at him, don't worry. I just said, don't you ever do that again, and I threw him back down, and I walked away, and all the guys around me were, like, like giving me, like, high-fives and stuff, <laughs> needless to say, he never did that again, he never he would hug another girl, especially when I'm in the room, like, he just kind of comes, I'm like, yes, you, you learned your lesson, and uh, anyway, the point is this, I've grown in love with Starla, This and I, we, that our love for God should never grow cold, and we should want to do anything. We should, we should be a, a, aggressive in a good way about his love. That if people mock Jesus, he, you're mocking the king of the universe. You're mocking my friend, someone I know intimately. And I, I honestly, there's the first point, of, for if I look through what Paul wrote here, is that he did it with tears, and it was that love that, that drove him. Ephesians 3.17, just so we have scripture to get us out of that moment of carnality. okay. I did repent and actually even asked him for forgiveness. So there we go. Um, but he didn't want to talk to me anyway. Ephesians um, three seventeen it says, "So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Just think of that picture. It's it's something that is established is not meant to be moved. If we look 2,000 years ago, the Colosseum was built. there's parts that are falling off, maybe more. But that thing was established for a future generation. We need to root and establish ourselves in the love of Christ first and foremost. Whatever your church background, whatever you've come from, whatever you walk through, you have to know that God loves you and the thing that drives Him is love and the thing that should drive us is love. That we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. Now, for me, that is such a key thing. It doesn't say alone we're gonna figure out his love, it says that together with God's holy people, that in community, I love what Stoff said. He said he, he, he saw a picture. I'm going to just kind of paraphrase what you said. But just something of God was in this community. He's never felt so loved. And that is the love of God that we are expressing to one another. That's how we see the love of God expressed amongst ourselves. And I, I'm praying, obviously, that we reach more people, that the church uh, multiplies and grows. But can we never, ever, ever lose the heart of love? It's never about numbers. It's never about uh, that we look at stats at the end of the month and let it never be that. It's about love. It's about expressing the love and finding about who this love is, who Jesus is in and through our lives. If we forget who we're living for and what we're living for, our hearts can go cold. And I've seen it with friends of mine. I've seen it with people who have been following Jesus for many years. And whatever the motive of following him, that'll eventually fade away whether it's to please man, to please your wife, to please your husband, that's going to fade away. The thing that's going to last is that we rooted and established in love. And In verse 19 it says, Ephesians 3, 19, And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the, all the fullness of God. And it all starts when we root and establish ourselves in the love of Christ. Some scriptures just for you to hold on to. 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He's, he's taken us out of darkness. He's adopted us. He's put us into His glorious light. We are His children. Loved. Can Can you take a moment now? I'm going to give you a few seconds. And we did this with our staff and some of the leaders. But I believe God speaks to us. And uh I want to just take literally like 15 seconds and just say, God, what are you saying over my life right now? Just as a little, see so if you want to close your eyes, if you feel that's what you need to do, but I'm going to give you 15 seconds. Can I ask what God said? What is the first thing if someone wants to shout it out? Grace? Anyone? Rest. Shouldn't say rest. Don't I? Come share. I just had a picture of a, I want to say a kerosene lamp where you turn. Um and I felt like God was saying to me that he's turning that and the flames getting brighter and brighter and it won't go out. Yeah. Wow. Anyone else? I was sent to Jack, I was telling you. And like a carousel, all the horses go up and down and the horses start swine to the carousel. And instead of going around in the same circle it was just starting very Yeah. Amazing. We, we did this with our staff, and some of the stuff came out where God just started to speak about his purpose and his love of what he, what he speaks over us. And I, the first thing that came to my mind when I've done this before is that God goes, I love you. And I think we need to realize, not only does his word declare that God speaks love over you the whole time. And he does not, sometimes we think we have to measure up. It's through effort, through, through doing stuff that somehow pleases him. And it doesn't work like that. God loves you right now. And it's the first thing he'll speak over you, and it's the last thing he'll speak over you. And if you look, I just, I was thinking about families, and most, most I just w- spoke to Starla this week. I said most breakdown in society around, like, stuff that happens is because there's been a breakdown in family. And the enemy attacks family and he attacks identity and family and he attacks fathers and he, and he tries to uh, demasculate fathers and, and, and kind of just kind of mess up the, the whole kind of system of what God has and, and what he has planned. And uh, we saw just some amazing stuff. We had uh, friends of ours, Naron and Allison, who, who have the uh, home orphanage in Sri Lanka. And they've adopted these 27 children. Um, and just to, to hear the stories that they came out, out of, horrendous, horrendous backgrounds, abuse, neglect. Uh, just to, some of the guys were like, in, like 11, year old, 11 years old in street gangs, like fighting and killing people. And they would be brought into this home, and all Narell would do would lo- was what, he would love them. And he would love them. And they would cry, and they would go through stuff, and they would rebel, and he would love them. And they would run away, and he would find them again, and he would love them. And he'd bring them back to the place. And love began to mold these kids into into understanding who they are, that they are loved unconditionally. And they were able to now. if you look at the kids we've gone over the past five years, the change in their lives is phenomenal because of love. And God does that with us. We run away, he loves us. We turn our back on him, he loves us. He's utterly good. The second thing, who God uses. It's those who say yes. Just say yes. And I can honestly say that there's never been a regret in my heart to saying yes to the call of God. When God starts to do a prompting in my heart about what he has for us and the future that he has for us, I have a default setting of yes. We just dive in and then think about it later. I'm not saying let's all run in and burn out, but I'm saying let's, let's throw our hearts into, the king, into kingdom initiatives. And you'll probably find if you had to look over your life, the thing that is tiring you out the most is the thing that is actually not relating to the kingdom of God. And that's what I spoke about last week is that it's about reordering our priorities around his kingdom. It's using what's in your hand. You don't have to be an expert in any way. And I've shared this story before again, but I doubt any of you will remember. It's a great story. Um, A friend of mine who lives in the UK, he, he went across to Uganda. And this Ugandan pastor was telling him stories about people that was happening in their church. And it was a very, very poor community. I think they had about 20, 30 people in the church. One guy ends up coming to, into the community, gets saved, gets baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's on fire for Jesus, and he goes to the pastor. And they've encouraged as in the small community to say, whatever you have, bring it to the table. Whatever contribution you can make to the greater good, bring it to the table, because we can see the kingdom advance through that. And he comes and he says, listen, all I have is, is, a, is a, 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 a pond it's kind of like a marshed area. It's a piece of land. But what is happening is that because of that, that, because of the marsh land, there's tons of mosquitoes. The mosquitoes are now going across the villages and actually causing malaria and actually killing off people because of my marsh. So the pastor goes, okay, cool. Let's see what we can do. They pray about it. And they end up digging and they're digging. And then they eventually find fresh water. Fresh water comes up. And they make these little mini dams. They start, um, they start putting fish in the dams. Those fish end up eating the mosquitoes. So you've stopped mosquito and you've stopped death across a certain area like this, the, the statistics went down. It says it caused employment in the area where people have to raise these fish in, in farms and now sell them. Just because one man says, I have a piece of land for me that is useless. And our God always works like that. The thing that you think cannot be used, that is what God uses. And it's just a simple saying yes to him no matter what the call, no matter what the cost. And the third point of the people that God uses, is those who celebrate others. And this whole passage for me is about Paul releasing uh, these Ephesian elders into the ministry. So it wasn't about him. He wasn't trying to build an empire where Paul was at the top and he had all of his minions around him and he had a cool little brand and he made brands on his T-shirts and like they ran around the world doing all of these things. He was actually he was trying to build away from himself and build into others. And the difference that I see in a large part of the church today and what the church of the, the New Testament was is that they were, they were disciples making disciples. Whereas I think a lot of the church today revolves around a message, good worship, and then you leave and you carry on during your day. Where, where Paul was just trying to get into these guys and he's pushing the ministry away from himself. He says, listen, you've only been saved probably by then two, three years. He says, but you guys can lead this thing. There's a great work that happened in, in, the, in, the, in the church in Ephesus, and it says, you guys can lead it. It's about pushing and celebrating others. 3 John 1 verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Now, this is the apostle John looking, and he's writing, and he says, I have no greater joy than to see my children, which are these disciples, the ones following after him, following towards Jesus. He says that they're walking in the truth. And for me, there is no greater joy than for me to see what I saw today, community. The things that we wanted to build and instill that Stalin and I saw in our minds four or five years ago would be this sacrificial community where this becomes more like your family than your physical family. And and you get integrated and you get slaughtered and your your life changes. That's what is what we've been going after for years. It's amazing to see. Can we turn in our Bibles to John 3 verse 27? John three twenty seven. It's about John the Baptist. And this is just about celebrating others. For me, that's about identity. It's about being secure in what God has made you to be, that you know that there is no other person like you on this planet. God has made you unique with a unique set of giftings. And I remember Johnny saying years ago to me, he probably won't even remember this, but he says the word comparison, half of it is sin. So we cannot compare ourselves to others. It's a sin to compare ourselves. Not that that's really theologically true, but it's just comparisons wrong. Okay, God has made you unique. Um, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I, I, that, that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the, is the bridegroom. The, uh, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And this is the key part. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. And John had a point in his life where he was gaining disciples, where he was gaining momentum in baptizing people. And Jesus, the son of God, comes along and he says, my task is now done. And he was able to celebrate the new person coming in. And if you look at the life of David and Saul, God, God takes the kingdom away from Saul. And, uh, and there's such insecurity in Saul. And because of that insecurity in Saul, he ends up trying to kill David, kicks him out of his kingdom. And his insecurity ultimately leads to his death. And I think those who are used by God are those who are able to celebrate others, to push others forward. I look at a guy like Brian Houston. And when it's when people talk about him, they said all he does is he just tries to set other people up for victory. And in that, because he's generous, life his life gets his life gets bigger. His influence in what he's called to do gets bigger because he's celebrating others. I do not want to let insecurity run or rule my life. And if I'm honest, I've come from maybe a lineage of that in, 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 in my family. And I, there's been moments in my life where I've had to just l- literally fight and get. I don't know if you can get physical with the enemy, but I was shouting. I was like, God, I'm not going to let insecurity dictate anything. I'm not going to let what other people think of me dictate how I'm going to act or how I'm going to react. And it's a a battle that we need to fight, as guys particularly. And we need to become secure in him and secure that God has made you unique. As a church, we want to be secure. And we've got friends, uh, gatekeepers up the road, great friends of ours, leading an amazing church, And I can honestly say this, I was saying to Starla this week, that when they are winning and when they are seeing hundreds of people saved and over a couple of months and and life is being injected into their church, I genuinely feel like I'm winning as well. And I think we need to, like, there's just, and I've just seen it, I've seen it, like, I've been involved in ministry long enough that there's, there's definitely some form of competition in churches. And I was like, I do not want any of that. I don't, we, are, we have, God has called city lights to run in its own lane. We are not here to compare ourselves to others or look upon others, but we are called to celebrate others. So when there are victories, I'm saying, God, thank you for that victory. And they did the same with us. We were moving into this warehouse. We were doing everything by faith. The congregation was probably about a quarter, if not maybe, a th- maybe an eighth of what it is now. We were moving and we thought, we're just going to go forward in faith. They took up an offering in their church for us to move into this building. 90,000 derms came in an offering for us because they were secure in who they were. And I can tell you God has blessed them because of that. And I learned so much from that moment and think, and we've been able to do that, that since. And that, we, have to, we have to be secure in who we are. We're not here to compare ourselves to one another. We need to run in our own lane. It's not about stepping over people and using people to get your name to the top that is a way of this world. We serve people. I want to read you something by Heidi Baker. She, I think she's a modern-day reformer. She's uh, changing the face of Mozambique, seeing thousands upon thousands of people saved. She's planting churches every day. Uh, her and her husband just doing incredible work. They're about to build one of the biggest universities in Africa where people come in and their lives are changed. So they can go, she's a reformer. And, you're gonna, and your kids and your grandkids are going to read about her as one of the reformers that have changed society. And she says this, we are not experts. We haven't learned how to to do church and revival. We only humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We gravitate to the low things of this world. Competition and comparison with others don't suit our DNA. We feel no pressure to succeed or or excel, but we find joy in doing things uh, well by the power of the Spirit. God's ways are the reverse of the world's. You must do what God has told you to do wherever he has placed you. But these values we have learned are transferable. If you learn to, be, to humble yourself and fully depend on Jesus in reckless devotion, you will see miracles, you will see fruits, you will see broken filled with his presence, you'll begin to see his life spilling over all. And I think when we learn to celebrate others and celebrate those who are supposedly lower to us or the lowly of society, that's when God just smiles upon us. And we we're able to do some incredible, I want to see, my heart beats to see the kingdom advance in the city in such incredible ways. And I think it's going to happen in different ways than we actually think. I'm going to finish with this. Paul writes in two of his letters, and his, and, his, and just talking about security and identity, and I think this takes years but I think it can also happen in moments where we're just secure in who we are in God and who he's called us to be and he's he's not expecting anything of us, but he loves us recklessly. And uh, Paul writes in two of his letters, the one is in Ephesians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, he was secure in who he is and and by whom called him. And I want to say that if God has spoken stuff over you, who is man to say anything else? Who is man to break, down, break you down in any form if God, who is the highest authority in the universe, has spoken things over your life? Who is man to say anything else? I love what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Eugene Peterson says, the church is at its best when people are free to be themselves. And God has made you all unique and he loves you for who you are. Can we just take a deep breath and go, God loves me for who I am. He loves things about you. I was sitting this week, and I just, I've been trying to be a semi-journaler, and it hasn't really gone too well. But I I was just writing, and I felt God say, start to write. And God started to say a few things over me that just floored me. And it, it was so simple. He just said this. It was, I love you, I love your heart, and I love your songs. How cool is that? I know it was God. Like, no one can take that thing away from me. I, like, I sat there, and God spoke that over me. He, if you need to go find scriptures before you can start hearing, the, everyone can hear the voice of God like we exampled earlier. But if, if you're not there yet, try, keep listening, keep opening ears, get scriptures, get, begin to speak the love of God. God, he, I just sat there, and I, something in my, and I felt like stuff just began to break off my life, just because simply God of heaven spoke to me, and he said he loves me. And God loves you. He loves the way you do business, Ron. All the time. (laughs) He loves... He loves people's creativity. He loves, he's involved in your lives. Like somehow we've got this kind of separated view of, of Christianity and God where it's, it's, it's a Friday, it's maybe a Monday or a Tuesday, and then the rest of it's me, where God is actually celebrating the thing. He celebrates, like we've got some artists in our church. Like I, God celebrates when we start to do art because we're actually expressing something of who he is to this world, the creativity of God. He is the most creative being ever. We can never top him. Can we all stand to our feet? Mario, would you, actually don't worry, we don't have to, we're just going to pray. Can we all bow our heads and then we will pray together? I really feel God wants to break off any form of insecurity and um, comparison over people's lives. If that's you, don't put your hand up because that's I think, is between you and God. But just begin to speak to him. Say, God, I want, to, I want to be set free from this thing. I want to be set free. I don't want to carry this thing anymore. God, would you secure identity in people's hearts and lives this morning? God, would you just thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit? Would you come and just seal something of what is spoken today? I thank you, God, as you spoke over me that you love me and you love the things I do. I, I really feel God is speaking that over us this morning. That He's pleased with you. No comparison, no striving, no trying to prove before man, before leaders, before anything, before your work, before your boss, before God is commending you from heaven, the highest authority is saying that I love you. God, would that just begin to sink in our hearts this morning?